This is the Gender Card Podcast from Griffith University's Gender Equality Research Network. I'm Nance Haxton, and together we will speak to the vanguard of remarkable researchers breaking down the issues of gender equality, women's leadership and gender inclusivity in all realms of life. Today on the Gender Card, we celebrate young people around the world on International Youth Day. August the 12th every year is now dedicated by the United Nations as a day to make young people's voices more mainstream and help them take part in meaningful engagement with political, economic and social decisions. We meet two Griffith University researchers who are finding that when young people are given equitable access to the arts and culture, even in some of the most challenging and isolated environments, the benefits are immense for all of society. Alexis Anyakaleo is using her background in both music education and criminology to explore how music can be a powerful tool for rehabilitation in Australian juvenile detention centres. Says a secondary school music teacher in his honours research, looking into how ballet as a dance therapy has huge benefits for traumatic brain injury survivors and their carers. I'm Joel Spence and I'm a, a secondary school uh, music teacher for the Department of Education in Victoria and uh, completing an honours at Griffith University um, in social work. My name is Alexis Anya-Kaleo and I'm Deputy Director of Research at the Queensland Conservatorium Griffith University. Thank you both Alexis and Joel for joining us on the Gender Card. Thank you for having us. Pleasure. It's wonderful to look today at uh, our special edition for the United Nations International Youth Day. Certainly think this fits in incredibly well with both of your research. I think the first thing that I want to explore, though, I wonder how two teachers, former teachers, ended up where you have. Can you tell us a little bit of, uh, of your journey and how that's informed your work? I was a secondary school music teacher. I'm actually in an all-boys school in Sydney. And the opportunity came up for me to embark upon a research sort of journey overseas, actually in Finland. And there had there had come some things in my classroom that I wanted to know more about and that I, I didn't really have the tools or the ability to solve for myself. Uh, so I thought that was a great opportunity. So went to Finland and did my, my doctoral studies there at the Sibelius Academy and stayed there for, for a few years afterwards, continuing this research not necessarily together with young people, but definitely together with education systems that are designed to support them and their learning, which is sort of led to where I am now. So it's a sort of snowball. Well, and it's interesting that you ended up in Finland, Alexis, given that it's seen as this educational utopia by so many people. Was that uh, the way that you found it by living there for a while? There are some aspects of the Finnish education system which are deserving of the reputation, I think. They, they, they do some things extremely well. Of course, no system is perfect and they, they navigate challenges as, as well as anybody else. And I think a lot, a lot of their concerns at the moment are how to accommodate um, a sort of greater recognition of diversity. I don't think diversity is new for Finland. It's been a country with, with different communities and peoples and uh, cultural groups since the dawn of time. But now that those are being recognised, it's, it's how to maintain that sort of narrative of equity 
and justice through education for everyone and have that experienced, if not in the same way, in, in equitable ways. Isn't it interesting, though, uh, just a thought, I, I think so often it's young people who teach us these issues, aren't they? Because they've, they've lived it, they've grown up with a range of, of, of different people all around them and, and we have so much to learn from them. Absolutely, and you learn that lesson very quickly when you become a teacher. <laughs> <laughs> so how about you, Joel? How did you, uh, where's your journey taken you from, was it uh, high school you started at as a teacher? Uh, so no, I didn't actually. I when I finished high school, I, I did a little bit of musical theatre and, and uh, played rugby. So rugby actually overtook and sport took over my life when I left high school. But it was actually, it was actually a, 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 I had an, had an accident um, that caused a spinal accident and I couldn't go back to play sport. So I went back and re-educated myself with skills that I had from my childhood and music was it. So that, that's where my flair and passion happened and, and I went back in my late 20s. To, to do my dip ed. And when I finished that, I started working in the TAFE sector. So that was a really amazing time of my life, working in Gippsland and being able to teach. I taught community radio, radio production and, and music all combined So and media. So it was, it was a really great time. And then we lost all our funding. And that was when that was the first, the first sort of uh, policy and, and political sort of time that I sort of understood as a teacher that, you know, arts is really uh sort of being pushed down and, 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 you know, it's where its importance is in some sectors so, um, and, and communities. So, yeah, so from there I, uh, I went into the secondary school sector and, yeah, just I've been going from there. So I guess I realised with all the, the inequality, the advocacy work that needed in these systems, that's why I've come back to study social work to combine that with arts. Yeah, it's just uh, it's been a really powerful thing over the last ten years for me to to really advocate for things just like equipment and setting up programs in community and trying to get that community engagement between school and the wider community with arts programs. It's actually been quite a tough thing. So you know, going back to study social work really uh, fits perfectly for me, and I'm I'm glad I have. It sounds like your teaching and your musical theatre, I think, have informed where you are now um, with, with your research into ballet for brain injury. Now, this is something I haven't heard about. Can you tell us what that involves? Yes. Yeah, definitely. So I, I've just finished up. I've actually just finished my honours about a, a month ago. So uh, a fascinating project between Griffith University, Hopkins Research and Queensland Ballet. And it's all about incorporating ballet into rehabilitation for TBI patients, for traumatic brain injury patients. So, yeah, so what we've actually been able to do there is set up a pilot program, which just finished and just completed, which was just absolutely fascinating and, and great and rewarding to see. Yeah, now it's actually a, a permanent addition at Queensland Ballet Weekly for, for traumatic brain injury patients and their carers to be able to come along and, and do ballet weekly. So, yeah, it's been a really big journey, a really big, fascinating time really just to uh just set it up and just just see it all function and come to life so what are some of program. the benefits that you've seen from that i mean it, i suppose it, it makes sense of course ballet would have such positive effects but I, I i can't imagine how does it how does it work when you're actually working with people with a brain injury in that way look for me my research was based around biopsychosocial so it was a biological psychological and the social aspects of it and Every single one of those elements uh, have benefits when it comes to ballet. But there's really the emotional element when it comes to the connection of live music and the style of music being classical music. It's very calming, very soothing on the body, keeps people relaxed in an environment as well. And there's also the freedom 
you know, there's, there's, there's really the spiritual aspect that, that comes into it, the aesthetic of just being, just being in that environment with people and uh, like-minded people and, and the community aspect. There's just so many different layers and elements that you can see that have come out of it. It's just, yeah, it's, it's brilliant. Being free in that sense, I suppose, with the music. Yes, definitely. Mm. Yeah, yeah. And can you see it being applied in other ways, perhaps even in schools or in in, in a wider oh, environment? Definitely, mm. definitely. Look, look. I think it's um, you know, it's definitely got to be uh, something that you, you you choose to do and something you wanted to try. And a common theme that I guess I found in my my honours research was that people after they've had a traumatic brain injury, um, once you leave the hospital s- sector uh, or you're an outpatient, it's really hard to to engage with activities. Um, and it's really hard to find that community support. And, and it became a common thread with people that I was speaking to throughout the journey. Same for carers. Carers, you know, were sort of under-equipped, not being able to find programs and, and, and things like that. So outside of the, the hospital setting. So there seemed to be this search to try new activities, engage with people. And, and that's that's what I believe that we filled with this, with this style of program. And I think awareness and being able to give arts and dance and music opportunities uh, in, in schools and all that sort of stuff is, is definitely something that should be there. Did you find that there were any gendered differences in being ballet? Are there still some of those remnants, I suppose, in an Australian culture? That was one of the very first questions that I asked myself going into the research, and, and that was answered. That was answered quite quite well. Uh, <laughs> Yes. <laughs> yes. Short, no surprises the, that's there. The, that, that, that's, a, that, that's a short answer. Um, mm. Yeah. Look, there is a stigma that comes with ballet, mm. um, but I feel that for the for the males that participated in it, and especially with traumatic brain injury, majority of the population is younger males in their twenties that, that may have been in car accidents and, and work accidents and things like that. But in saying that, the ones that did engage had an absolute ball. They loved it. They loved it. So. Yeah, it wasn't. A, yes, there is a, a depiction and a, a, I guess a gendered stereotype when it comes to ballet. But once they engaged and they started meeting other people and, and that community aspect, that was just all, all gone away. So, Alexis, there's some really interesting parallels there between Joel's research and yours as well with looking at music for incarcerated children. Absolutely. Thanks. Thanks, Nance. Yeah, I think what I'm really interested in is these potentials of music and I guess dance as well, which I don't think they can necessarily be so easily separated from one another, but the potentials of music as a transformative practice. And these ideas aren't, aren't new. And I think that they're amplified for, for young people who are already going through times of intense change and especially in a juvenile justice settings. So I've been looking at uh, how Music programs are designed and implemented within juvenile justice settings for so for incarcerated children and young people with the ideas of supporting these children to explore and express who they are, but also with with an eye towards this idea of music as transformative practice, which to me is is more interesting in terms of who they ought to become uh, through that music practice as a rehabilitative process or, or a, as, as Joel was saying, a sort of aesthetic and artistic and creative process that can support uh, rehabilitative work. And and you said that when you started on your research, you found that you know while yes we we've known about the benefits for a while, there, there was so little research in this particular area about the benefits of music for children who are in jail. 
Yeah, especially for children. I think there has been quite a lot done in adult classroom settings, but less so for children, which which given where I am in my research now might be because the ethics process is involved. <laughs> <laughs> Though the research that there is is also fairly overwhelmingly positive. And I'm I'm interested in in more of the complexities as well and how music can play a sort of political role in these in these spaces, not necessarily as being conservative or, or liberal or anything like this, but in terms of equipping young people with with the tools and skills and, and medium to be able to express who they are and who they're becoming without necessarily having some sort of fixed ideal as a as a goal to work towards. And I think that brings together all kinds of really interesting ideas in terms of what kinds of music we are introducing to these spaces or which kinds of music are permissible within these spaces. Of course, you know, the music doesn't only come from the outside. Kids have their own music too. And and what is seen as as productive and as good and right for these for these young people. And it sounds like there's some parallels there that that access is really an issue that boys, young men, might be interested in ballet as <laughs> as a way to help cope with their traumatic brain injury and to gain benefits from that. But also for children who are incarcerated, being able to access music beyond perhaps what people would expect them to want to hear. Yeah, I think so. And I think there's also complexities involved in that. So when I'm looking at the research that's been done already, girls and young women are almost entirely absent from the research. And young men are, you know, when when the issue of gender is discussed, it's discussed very much in connection with things like uh, certain genres of rap, such as gangster rap or metal uh, and things like this, and concepts of hyper-masculinity, which is seen as problematic in terms of rehabilitation and things like this. Um, and I'm wondering where everybody else's masculinity might might be in this space, or if it is possible for young people to express themselves in, in ways that maybe don't align with the ideas and ideals of sort of authority figures, but then also the peer groups that operate within these spaces. You know, is there an opportunity to do things more creatively and differently? And is it safe to do so? So that's part of where I think gender intersects in this setting as well. Yeah, moving beyond those those stereotypes, because it sounds like in some ways that gangster rap and image actually doesn't have a lot to do with where those children are at. Yeah, and I think this is also quite a dated idea of music. So in, I think it may have been the early 90s, researchers were talking about things like problem music, which was things like rap or metal or certain um, strands of hip hop and so on that were seen as sort of socially undesirable. We've looked at this, you know, people don't take what's in music as a life guide (laughs) and people use music for many different ways as catharsis, as entertainment as part of exploring their own identities as part of forming who they are so there's many many different complex ways in which people engage with music in their lives and just because you listen to some extremely violent sounding genre of music with all the swear words you want to chuck in there and glorify violence as as much as you like it doesn't necessarily mean that that's going to impact upon your behavior so i think that our understandings of how 
music and young people come together is is more complex than that now. And Joel, have you found that as well? I, I'm interested if you could explain how you started down the ballet path. Was that an area you had had much to do with before? How did you decide that this could be something beneficial and start that research there? Yeah, definitely. Like in, for me in high school, I was always involved in, in theatre and, and dancing combined with sport. It wasn't necessarily the coolest thing, but uh, with, with, with my, my, my footy mates, but, um, it was definitely for me at, at the time, uh, it was, it was, it was an outlet that I, I found was actually really great and beneficial on my body, my strength. Um, and, and it was a really positive growth. I made some really like good, good, good friendships through that. The performers on stage in ballet, I mean, they're like Olympians. They're so incredibly oh, exactly. fit. It was, exactly, it was a, exactly. Yes. And, and for me, I was, in, I guess I was in a music community in school. And it was quite acceptable, but yes, obviously on the outside for, for some people who weren't aware, it did have a stigma that goes with it. So I, I, I sort of went in with that, I guess, feeling that that could be the case. And all through my research, it was always frequently brought up, especially with participants about ballet, you know, because there, there, there was a stereotype uh, that was involved. But I feel once people got involved and they actually participated in it and they realised that it wasn't necessarily about wearing leotards and tutus for males. It was just about being yourself and expressing. Very quickly, I, th- I think, it turned into this non-judgmental zone for, for growth and confidence, which, which is, I guess, the really important aspect of what dance and music can be. And that, that's where I feel it was sort of headed. And did you find in your honours research, were the benefits for, for men and women similar or were there some differences there uh, from, from the ballet? I, I, I feel that there was, a, there was a lot on the feminine side of it. There was a lot more experience and that was just based on childhood experience. I guess for, for a lot of females, it, it was a nostalgic experience to come back and do ballet at, later on in life because it was something that they might have done when they were, they were young. For the males, not so much. Um, very similar to me where they would have had sporting backgrounds and just, just the blokey-bloke masculinity type attitude. But once they went in and experienced it, it definitely changed their out- outlook and, and everyone became equal very quickly, which, which is what it can do. And was it changed in a way? Was it big, with a therapeutic focus or how did ballet uh, work for this group of people with brain injuries? I, I, look, I feel that attitudes probably changed very quickly and it was, there were was so many uh, aspects when it came to, I guess, everyone was working uh, at their own pace. It was all very self-paced. They had uh, multiple teachers working the floor. Uh, some, some patients that chose to have carers there would have carers there. Others would... Uh, choose to do it independently so really it was all designed around participatory design so it was all about everyone everyone designed this program as participants right through to to health workers and that that was probably one of the biggest things that came out of this that everyone had involvement so for the participants they came in being involved in the process right through my research right into yeah the pilot program and the pilot study for themselves so everyone was invested um, as a community to make it work, so it wasn't it wasn't necessarily they came in and they were, they were told what to do. Every, everyone sort of they, they got guidance, they got led, um, and and everyone took from it what they wanted to. So um, that was that was the whole uh, design of this style of program. There were benefits that they were really multifaceted. Yeah, no, there, there was there was everything from I guess you know the physical aspect, the, the 
you know, when, when it came to the social aspect, the psychological aspect, there was just so much, so in depth, really, when it came to the, to, to the research side of things. And things are still under the way with the ongoing research now because it's, um, there's just so many layers that have been beneficial, really. And Alexis, you're looking at that policy aspect now too with your research and how to really make this more an integrated part for children in incarceration? I am. And and also like Joel describes, I think that how these programs are designed is really important in, in terms of the opportunities they provide or the potentials that are there. So leading off what, what Joel just told us about the Ballet for Brain Injury program, I think those kinds of programs that really support people to do their own thing and to get creative and to experiment and be okay to fail and try again and see what works for them can make things open up or can make us be able to see and experience things in ways that were previously just not even possible you know not even thinkable as an option and i mean that's that's incredibly important with things like gender where we tend to have these you know, fixed binaries and fixed ideas of how what what dance is for men and what dance is for women and what who ballet is for, um, and who who should rap and who should play violin and and all these kinds of things. But you know, you give somebody an instrument or you give somebody a stage and you give somebody the tools to be able to be really expressive and experimental. And I think that what what comes out of that process can really you know, mess up all of these fixed ideas of that we had beforehand of who people are, especially who young people are, um, and who they should be. So I think that the the way that we design policy and t- for these programs to be implemented through is really important. But also the freedoms that teachers and or facilitators and young people can have within these programs to do exactly as Joel said and make it their own. Is, is probably even more important. And Joel, did you find this as well with um, what's the next step for you? Is it looking at that policy area or really just trying to find ways that it can be integrated wider, you mentioned before? I think uh, for this and especially at, at this point in time, it's been focused mainly on uh, adults. I think if it was to definitely, definitely uh, it needs to it's got a it's got a particular type of branding at the moment and it was sort of um, going on with sort of what Alexis sort of had said earlier, like I guess going through ethics approval and, and all that sort of stuff, it's a little bit different with children. Um, so I, I would hope that this would expand into younger people. I guess traumatic brain injury itself, uh, the demographics, I guess, uh, usually, usually from about 18 upwards, it's, it's more common. I guess the average age group for us was was it was a range really from from twenty right through to so young adults right through to, to to older people. I think I think it's really really comes down to yes, having that option and and freedom of choice. And I guess it's not going to be for ballet is not going to be for everyone in their rehabilitation. But I think you find that uh, people that are coming through this process they just want to be able to have that option, have that choice. And, and, and have autonomy around their decisions in what it is that they want to do. Um, and having that kind of an option there for them to experience is really an open-door policy, I think. But, yeah, look, every, everyone is equal as soon as they come through, and it's, it's just amazing to sort of see the outcome on the other side of things where um, a community, a new community develops from this style of thing. 
Alexis, I know you're very early in your stages with uh, with the research in some ways, but have you been able to quantify what some of the benefits for music in these incarcerated spaces are for the children who take part? I, th- I think research ha- has already found quite a lot. Um, so at the moment, I'm I'm looking at the policy sort of landscape where these programs sit before hopefully spending a lot of time with young people themselves. But I think that the biggest potential here is is actually to move these kids out of a carceral setting. So especially in Australia, where we're incarcerating children as young as 10 years old, you know, I think that there are better ways of doing things. And I think that the arts and and music in particular can provide really great opportunities for for leading us there. I know a lot of the the concerns against changing our policies on on incarcerating children and young people has been about viable alternatives. Um, So my research is really looking at one of of many viable alternatives. But I think, as Joel says, in in working within communities and, and keeping young people within their families and friendship groups and really making connections, you know, that's that's where great things happen in and through the arts. So I think that that's hopefully where my where my research will land, if you like. I think these are great concepts to talk about on International Youth Day to to really look at the the options that are available to our children and yes, the, the questions of why are some of our children being incarcerated from such a young age here in Australia and what are some better alternatives that we can research and show as as a better option for that. Absolutely. If I throw to you both uh, just with concluding remarks about your thoughts on that parallel with your research and International Youth Day and that it sounds like you're both, the research you're doing is very much about empowering people to make choices about how they want to be treated and, the, you know, and if they want to go into a musical uh, field or ballet, then that should be within people's choice. I think we're living in a really powerful time um, at, this, at this point in time, especially living through COVID and the impact that that would be having on youth um, and communities, I guess, right across the world, but, you know, especially here in Australia, where these opportunities are really uh, becoming, I guess, sporadic now. Things are changing very quickly, you know, so it's really important, I think, that opportunities like this for youth to be able to lead into providing alternative learning spaces and, and opportunities based on their needs and, and their communities is, is really important. And I really hope that we, as facilitators, you know, on my side of things that, uh you know, you can you can still advocate and, and be able to push that for people to be able to have that freedom of choice when it comes to arts and and that place where they can facilitate themselves to have self discovery and, and 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 just find and and connect with those cultural aspects when it comes to, to youth and development and and lifelong journey. That that's where I hope that we can uh, continue to grow and and the youth coming through will be able to uh, still have those opportunities in a creative sort of sense you know I guess we've got to learn to be adaptive now um, with things fastly changing especially across the east coast of Australia. Yes regardless that's, 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 of of gender or disability that we these these exactly. the, the benefits yes. of ballet and arts and culture should be available to us all. Exactly exactly you know and, and these are the these are the spaces that I hope that our communities here and, and, and the youth can lead and innovate these programs going forward to be based on their needs. I 
totally agree with this. And I think that the arts are quite unique in in their creative potentials of, of not only doing things differently, but opening our eyes and ears to be able to recognize things that might already be there, but in different ways. And I think that International Youth Day is is just a reminder, actually, of what we should be doing every single other day of the year, which is to look to our young people for for leadership, which they do very well, and to work together with, with them and listen to young people and to trust in their knowledge, in their experience, in their political capacities for instigating and driving positive change. If, if we acknowledge that you know, we're not perfect and some change is is warranted. I think we should absolutely be engaging with young people in in doing this and also with the arts into thinking how to do this in in new and powerful and important ways. Well, thank you so much, Alexis and Joel, for joining us today on the Gender Card and sharing your expertise with us, but also uh, with this, this wider community in such challenging and rewarding spaces. Thank you for having us. Thank you. Pleasure. Thank you. That was Griffith University researchers Alexis Anya Kaleo and Joel Spence. And that's all for this episode of The Gender Card. This podcast was produced for the Gender Equality Research Network by Nance Haxton with production assistance from Michael Adams. Stay up to date with this Griffith University podcast on SoundCloud. Speak to you again soon.